Hello and welcome to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our absolute honor and privilege to have you with us. Today, we're looking at our third installment in the series that we titled God's Training Drills. God's Training Drills. God is the greatest coach and He is determined to build up our spiritual muscles and assist us as if we're in the preseason so that we could play the game in the season proper at our best and most most greatest capacity to reach our full potential and live as Jesus like disciples in the world. Over the last uh, couple of weeks, we looked at the fact that God enables us to build our spiritual stamina as we encounter hardships. And God enables us to build our significance as we encounter failure. And today I'm going to look at how God builds our selfless, uh, selflessness as we encounter people. Good people, difficult people, just people. And you know, I'm not the greatest person to talk about interpersonal skills and relationships, being a little bit of an introvert. And this doesn't come naturally to me. But I bet even if you're the greatest extrovert, you probably know that your greatest high highs and your lowest lows are associated with relationships right? You know, people uh, in our lives bring us the greatest joy and sometimes the greatest sadness. And if you're a disciple or a discipler, you need to actually get on with the program and learn how to use those experiences to interact with others in such a way that brings the best out of you and the best out of them. And maybe when you think of relationships with people, comes into your mind the idea that some uh, people don't meet your needs. Or maybe they don't align to your values. Or they don't support your goals. Or maybe they don't appreciate your investment, whether your investment generally or your investment in them specifically. And those little difficulties that we encountered along the way really come to a place where we feel like our agendas and other people's ad agendas actually clash. We have a clash of agendas. Why? Because every single one of us in any relational environment are looking in the eyes of another and we ask ourselves, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? That is the first thing that comes into our mind when we encounter other people in our lives, challenging people, good people, just people. We have clash of agendas and we hardly discover that in the mirror. It often takes someone else in our lives to observe what might be going on 
in our own lives. And I recall that vividly that many years ago when I was still a secondary school teacher, we had a wonderful uh, celebration towards the end of every year where students played against the teachers. And I was in the team of teachers that played soccer against students. I'm not sure the students took it too seriously, but we as teachers certainly took it seriously. After the kids would leave the school several weeks in a row, the teachers would congregate in the oval and we would train we'll train hard we were really unfit but we would determine those kids especially those hard kids they're not gonna beat us and we would train really hard and we would have this awesome camaraderie and and friendship amongst the teachers of all different uh, uh, um, you know departments and you know what every single year for the three four years that we played the kids it would be tough. Uh, the teachers would play really hard. They would go really hard. They would be willing to do anything to win. And we usually win. And at the end of, of the game, you know, we stand on the sideline, you know, bragging because we're going to really give it to those kids for the rest of the year, you know. Our pride was, uh, you know, at, at risk right there. And the reality is this. We would brag about our abilities to beat the kids and we would, you know, backslapping and, and, you know, really amazing way of congratulating one another for being so good, even though we weren't that good but I recall one of those teachers he was a maths teacher and he would divert the attention he thought he was Mr. Messi the best player in the world and honestly without even looking at us in the eyes he would so confidently point at himself and say B.O.G. B.O.G. Definitely B.O.G. today. And we think, what the heck? He thinks he was best on ground today. And if it was once, it's all right. But he believed that he was best on ground every single time. And I was getting so frustrated with him. He was good, but certainly wasn't best on ground. And why divert the attention upon yourself, you know, after a great game we've had? And maybe I was irritated because he was arrogant. Maybe I was irritated because he was diverting attention to himself. But you know what? After a little while, I discovered why really I was irritated. Because I thought this guy in the picture should have been B.O.G. He deserved to put his finger right there and say, best on ground yet again. And you know what? It's only in those moments you discover that really deep inside each of us, there is a desperate desire to be recognized, to be appreciated, and people are clashing with us when they're trying to get the same thing that we're looking for. But because we are Jesus-like disciples and because we're Jesus-like disciples, guess what? God gives us the opportunity by bringing people into our lives so that we may learn in a beautiful way by the enablement of His Spirit how we could be trained and progress from self-centered teenage disciples who think the world really revolves around them, who are self-dependent, independent, who are trying to build their own brand, who consider everybody else not really up to scratch. They are above the system and we think of ourselves much higher than what we should really think soberly of ourselves. God wants to take us from there. He's proud of us for 
progressing in our spiritual lives, but He wants to take us to the next level. He wants to bless us to the next level by making us selfless, mature disciples. And tonight, I just want to share with you three training drills that I've observed in the lives of so many people who are living with Jesus wholeheartedly. I also observe them repeatedly throughout the New Testament. And I've seen a little bit of that even in my own life. And they are hard, just like every training drill. It's painful at the time. But you know what? Once we master it in the power of the Spirit of God and the enablement of His grace, we actually progress to be selfless people. So those three little training drills going to enable you to experience what it's like to be a selfless disciple of Jesus over time in relation to other individuals, whether they believers or non-believers. And the first one, the first training drill is that we'll learn to commit and intercede for people. We need to begin to commit people to God and intercede on their behalf regardless of their behavior. Regardless of their behavior. You see, the first thing sometimes we want to do is to control and intervene. You know, somebody comes into our life, we want to control them in such a way and intervene in the way they behave or the way they value things or the way they interact with us because we want a specific outcome. But if we're going to be selfless disciples, if we want to allow God to train us to develop to be more like Jesus, we need to firstly commit people in our circle of influence to the Lord and intercede for them. You know, sometimes we feel like if we prayed for other people, we're taking away the time that we could pray for ourselves. But it's a supernatural economy. You pray for other people and God looks after you. Look at what Paul says to the Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3 he said we always thank God for you we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ Christ. Have you seen that? He's saying that continually he mentions uh, those people whom Paul is committed to in his prayers. Why? Because they're doing good things. It's not only praying for people when, when they're going through a tough time, but actually praying for people that God brings into our life continually. It's freaky. It's a commitment that is a selfless commitment. Look at another guy who was in the circle of influence of Paul. His name is Epaphras. And Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4 and, uh, and verse 12, uh, Colossian, uh, Colossians 4.12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, and the word means bond servant, sends his greetings. Look at this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Why? That you may stand firm in all of God's will and mature and fully assured. You see, our greatest thing as disciples and disciplers to do in the people around us is to commit to wrestle for them in prayer. We need to commit time and energy and make every effort to commit 
to pray for people. You see, I believe selfless disciples have been trained to wrestle for people, not wrestle with people. Before you can wrestle with people, you need to wrestle for people in prayer. Before you want to intervene and control, you and I need to commit people in a long time in prayer. And after we committed them in prayer genuinely, because we commit them to the Lord and, and, and we put all our energy in praying for them, then God will direct us as to what to do. The first thing is to really commit people in our world to God in prayer and inter intercede for them. Secondly, then God might direct us in the training drill of correcting and instructing. Correct and instruct regardless of their responses. Don't correct and instruct because people are going to like you or applaud you or enjoy you but so that you do the right thing selflessly look at what Paul says to the Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12 it says we talk to you as a father to his own children there is that commitment don't you remember pleading with you encouraging you and even demanding that your daily life should not embarrass God, but bring joy to Him who invited you into His kingdom to share His glory. Have you noticed the two words? Encouraging and demanding. He encourages and He challenges. He is not just allowing the you know, people to be patted on the back, which He must do as a father, but He also needs to stand in the gap and direct and correct and say, hey, we need to do something a little differently here. You know why we don't do that? We like to encourage, but we don't like to challenge because we want people to really like us. And it's selfless people that do both. Selfless people that know how to encourage, they're not so self-focused that they want themselves to be encouraged alone. They encourage others, but they also know how to challenge others and confront and correct. You see what Paul says that, uh, to, 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 the, to the Thessalonians, he says, we are not trying to please people. That's why we encourage and confront you. But God, that's the one we're trying to please, who tests our heart. We need to have the right, correct motive to encourage and confront. God tests our heart. But look at this. You know, you know, you have found out over the years that we never used flattery we don't flatter you we don't trick you we don't try to get your approval by saying words that make you feel good but the reality something is wrong and Paul instructs Timothy to do the same thing this is not just Paul he said to Timothy he says to him in 2nd Timothy 4 2 correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction correct rebuke and encourage with careful, with, with great patience and careful instructions. Why do we need to do that? Why do we stand in the gap and selflessly, uh, you know, confront people when things aren't going right? When we sense a, dis a, a discretion or, or a discernment that something isn't going according to plan. You know why? Because we have blind spots. I love 
a particular model that is known as the Shuhari window, which explains that we all sit in almost four quadrants. Uh, one quadrant, we know things about ourselves and others know those things. You see, you, most of you right now know that I've got great hair. You know, we both know that, all right? So we are open. That's the quadrant where we are open. You know about me what I know about me. But then there are things in my life that I don't know about myself, but you know. There are things about me that are in my blind spot, you know, that I can't figure out. But you can see quite clearly. And you say, how couldn't he see that? And it's in my blind spot. I don't intentionally do that. But the reality is I am blinded to that. But some areas of our lives, they are known to us, but are not known to others. That's the bottom uh, left-hand quadrant, uh, uh, quadrant, which is hidden. Where things we'd like to, we are ashamed of or we embarrassed of, or we want to hide so that people don't reject us. So we live with that little bit of, uh, you know, a bit of a lie, so to speak, where we're trying to hide things and we're so scared that people will figure us out. But what this window tells us, that there is an opportunity for us, things that we don't know about ourselves, things that others don't know about ourselves. But I tell you what, God knows that about you, of what you're capable of becoming. And that only happens as you allow openness to take control. The things that you, you are blinded to, you allow other people to speak into it with, with, with feedback. And things that you're hiding, you become authentic and reveal it to trusted people in your life. Why? Because the more open we are, the more we get to the bottom of having our potential so incredibly lavished upon us from heaven. So it is critical that we give feedback because people are not intentionally ignoring God's direction. They're not intentionally doing the wrong thing. They're just basically blinded. So what I think my uh, difficulty and yours in confronting and giving feedback is we worried we lose our relational harmony with other people. But I believe these friends, that selfless disciples have been trained to risk relational harmony with others for the sake of the spiritual health of others. We risk relational harmony. We say, you know what? This might, back, might backfire. <laughs> they might not like me after this, but I care more about them. I care more about their health that I'm willing to be disregarded, willing to be, uh, you know, misunderstood, willing to be, you know, given a cold shoulder. But I am desperately seeking their well-being spiritually and their well-being relationally. I'm going to give it my best shot. The third training drill that God gives us so that we can build our selflessness with others, we call that care and invest regardless of their appreciation. Care 
and invest. God wants us to not just pray, not just correct, but now He wants us to care and invest for people. And it's intermingled in our relationship. You don't separate and say, all right, this season I'm just praying. No, you pray and care and confront and instruct. It's a, it's a unity of showing what it's like to live like Jesus in our relational network. Look at what Paul says to the Thessalonians. It says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Can you see that? Can you see the selflessness behind Paul's tone and relationship with others? It is. I know it's hard. <laughs> you ask any mother. I don't know what it's like to be a mother. But friends, I've observed my wife giving her best, you know, investing without thinking of herself whatsoever, especially as a nursing mother. All you care about is your child. You care for them. You wake up in the middle of the night several times and it's like, how do you do that? And, and they toil for the sake of others. And here is the selflessness of looking after somebody else, giving without thinking of return, investing without wanting your agendas. God wants us to care and invest in other people, particularly if you're a disciple of Jesus or if you're a discipler, you cannot impact other people. You cannot show them who Jesus is really like unless you're able to care and invest in them. Will it be hard? You bet. Will it take time? You bet. Will it take energy? You bet. Will it take away from your own time that you give to yourself? You bet. And here is what I believe, that selfless disciples have been trained to leverage their resources for the benefit of others instead of leveraging others for their own benefits. You see, there's only two types of people. Those people that leverage their resources for the benefit of others and those who leverage others for their own benefit. You know, what's in it for me? Rather than what's, what can I give you or what can I invest in you or how can I help you? We think about ourselves and we'll become suckers of other people's lives. But you know what? If you're like Jesus, you are being trained by the power of God's Spirit. You've been equipped by His DNA. You've been enabled by His grace to be such a selfless person that invests in other people. You say, God gave me these resources. God gave me this intellect. God gave me this ability to interact. God gave me this warmth. God gave me these ideas. God gave me this energy. God gave me this strength. You know what? I'm going to use it for other people's benefits because that's what Jesus would have done. We are sometimes so stingy with what we've got and we're wondering what's in it for me? How can you help me? But imagine friends, imagine if we could collaborate with God slowly and gradually, enable his training drills and instead of saying, oh, this is a hard relationship. 
Instead of saying this person drives me nuts, and instead of saying this relational environment is just so draining, and instead of saying what's uh, what about me in in all of these relational environments, imagine and instead of asking what can you do for me, maybe we begin to ask what would God have me be for thee. Why don't you read that with me? And instead of asking, what can you do for me? Maybe we ask, what would God have me be for thee? Imagine that. It's not about what would you do for someone else. It's about what God would have you be for somebody else. How could God reflect His character through you? How could God reflect His generosity through you? How could God show His care through you? How could God intervene in your life and in their life as you invest time to commit them to God and intercede? As you invest of your own energy so you could correct and instruct. As you invest of your own time and resources so that you can actually care and invest. And that's what it's like to turn our relational environment into an environment where God can use to show people Jesus, but also to shape us so we can be like Jesus. God will bring difficult people. God will bring good people. God will bring any people so that you could be trained to be a selfless disciple, a mature disciple who's not looking for how can I build my brand, but building other people's lives. We pray for you, believe me, and we thank you for being with us. And we trust that God would enable you to be everything that He designed you to be. And He will encourage you to do everything that He desires you to do. Thank you so much for watching. May God bless you and protect you. May His face shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope and pray that you were able to hear from God today and that you received this message straight from His mouth. As we always say, the rubber hits the road. When we get an opportunity to sit with God's Word and to reflect and to unpack what it is that He's saying to us personally. And so we want to leave you with three key questions that you can actually ask yourself and, and spend some time unpacking. The first question is this. What stood out to you from today's message? The second question is, what have you done in the past to address some of your relational challenges? And the third question is, what might God be asking you to do now or today or in the near future in relation to some of your current relational challenges? We hope that as you sit together with God and unpack those, maybe you might choose to do so with a group of trusted other people. And as you do, we pray that you would get divine insights and breakthroughs in the name of Jesus. Thank you once again, and we'll see you next time.